0: The first thing that happened when we got off the tram in the square was that an elderly couple in some sort of bicycle and sidecar arrangement nearly knocked me over. I'd forgotten how in Amsterdam you have to have your wits about you. The cyclists and car drivers take no prisoners, and even if you remember to watch out for those, the trams come up on your blind side and hoot, making you jump out of your skin. We made our way on foot south to the Rijksmuseum crossing canals and passing wonderful little cafes that normally I'd have loved to sit in and unwind. Some other time, I couldn't relax now, and neither could David. We watched out for possible tales. (laughs) How would we know? We couldn't see any, but that didn't necessarily mean they weren't there. Kippera had shaken us badly, me because it was my worst fear made real, David because he could no longer take refuge in skepticism. We'd agreed that we must keep moving. As soon as we got back to Helsinki, we packed and booked the first available flight out. We bought new clothes, very different from our normal styles. We got wild haircuts and then dyed our cropped hair as well. We removed the SIM cards from our phones, breaking them and throwing them in the hotel kitchen bins, then buying a couple of burners instead. We also took as much hard currency out of our respective accounts as we could manage, converting a fair amount into travellers checks. We were fortunate that neither of us had partners to call and explain what was happening, but it all seemed inadequate, given the circumstances, given what had happened. The Sky Machine by Martin Liddermont Performed by Jennifer Bardsley and Martin Lidiment. Chapter 4 Cloud Hidden, Whereabouts Unknown. We agreed that we had to push on as quickly as possible, contact the people on the list, and warn them try to find hard evidence about Helizon and a plan to suppress everything that proved climate engineering was underway, get it from anywhere other than the rock, that huge, supposedly neutral resource of climate data, hoovered up from smaller databases and archives around the world. We emailed friends and solicitors with as much information as we dare send, and then we posted sealed instructions, to be opened in the event that we went missing or worse. Amsterdam was David's choice, he had connections at the university and knew the city well. Rajinder Varma, number three on Carl's list, was going to fly in from London and meet us there. David had called her and persuaded her it was urgent. Sure enough, she'd lost access to the rock as well. The Sky Machine, that phrase, the last text from my brother. The imperative to seek out the truth. David was convinced now. But he didn't feel it like I did. How could he? But we were bound by the need to go on looking. To piece together the evidence. Construct hypotheses. We were behaving like scientists after all. David didn't much like me. I could tell, he tolerated my presence and wanted to help me, because it would help him. But he resented my ideas and where they bought us, there was certainly no emotional attraction. Well, not then, and maybe never from his end. No physical desire, even though we were now sharing a room. It felt safer, that's all. Forget those pursuit movies where the couple grow together in the face of danger, (laughs) no. Fear is an anti aphrodisiac, but I couldn't bring myself to dislike him. If anything, I felt guilt. And the guilt grew stronger every day guilt for what I'd done, what I might have to do. Plunging into the Amsterdam summer crowds was a way of temporarily losing myself. And once again, it felt right to be surrounded by strangers and just that bit safer. As long as I watched out for cyclists, that is. We didn't get stoned or drunk, though we might have easily, we walked and said very little. We moved through Amsterdam, or it moved around us, it was getting hard to tell. The Rijksmuseum was also David's idea, I think he wanted to skim over the depths and behave as though he were unaware they even existed. Logically, it would be a good public place to meet Briginda Farmer. And he told me he liked the paintings too. We stood outside the huge museum, and I looked up at its twin gothic towers, and the big central arch that was originally part of a route into the city. It seemed like madness to create a building of such importance, and then split it in half with a cycleway. David had told me how the museum had been renovated over a decade, with architects trying to bring it into a single, coherent experience for visitors. Engineers had worked in boats below the water table and above ground as well. They had stripped out galleries, opened up spaces, brought light and order to the exuberant, rambling original. The new entrance area was spectacular, high and airy. I felt I might float up into the white ceiling and the light beyond it. Light was everywhere, blazing through semi-domed ceilings, spearing across floors to pick out statues and sculptures, and of course pouring out the Vermeers and Rembrandts. Textured light, beautiful and rich, the sort that makes you want to reach out and touch the surfaces it illuminates, walls whose plaster you could imagine feeling rough and warm under your fingertips, Skin that would be cool to the touch, glowing with life in darkened rooms, all these captured moments of a time long gone, but life and colour everywhere, a constant perpetual explosion of it. David had arranged to meet Shindavarma in the old library. He sat reading a book while we waited for her, and I prowled around the upper tiers where the spines of the volumes shone like polished wood. Held in place with the gorgeous lattice work of metal columns, shelves, and railings. If the paintings held time, the library held thoughts. So many ideas, so much wisdom, so many opinions, some wrong, some right. As I walked, I lightly brushed the books with my hand, feeling over and over again the compressed need of the human mind to order and catalogue and share. We have to make sense of things. We have to capture and pass on knowledge. It's coded into our DNA. From my vantage point, I saw Varma enter the library and walk up to David, who rose and shook her hand. He looked up at me and I waved. Then I carefully descended the mad, narrow, spiral staircase in the corner of the room. Varma watched me with curiosity. I think she may have been wondering whether David and I were involved. I could understand her thinking, and it actually amused me a little. When I got down to floor level, I was surprised how tall Varma was. She looked stately in her sari, which was pale blue, the colour of the sky seen through the upper windows at the end of the library. It was decorated with small gold stars, just like the underside of the arches that supported the library's roof. I wondered if she'd chosen it for exactly that reason. She gave the impression of being a person completely in control of everything she did. We exchanged greetings and found a vacant corner in the reading area. Well then, David, Miss Lifestramer, Farmer said. I hope you're going to explain yourselves. Her accent was cut glass Cambridge University toned. I'll try, Reginda, David replied. I checked the area. No one even close by. Even so, David spoke very quietly. Farmer frowned and leaned forwards to listen. For a few minutes, David outlined what had happened since the start of the Zero Hour Conference. Farmer said nothing, her eyes cold, her face set, even when David described Kippera and our near-death experience. It convinced me, Reginda. He finished, hands spread flat on the table in front of him. There was nothing more to tell. Have I convinced you? Farmer sniffed and leaned back. "'Let us walk outside,' she said. And so we did, out into the museum garden and the warm air. Farmer paced slowly, up and down the sculptures, and we followed her, waiting for her to stop. She slowed, eventually, one hand on a carved surface, stroking its textured stone. Thinking, then she turned to us. "Oh, well, clearly, I... "'and my colleagues Professor Hendricks and Dr. Wills "'have been found guilty by association,' she said. "'But by whom?' "'By association,' I asked. farmer stepped closer to me. "'Please do not be naive, Miss Lystromer,' she said icily. "'They, I, David, you, "'we've all been using the repository of climatology for our work. "'The important difference, of course, "'is that ours has been used for legitimate research.' "'whilst yours has been used for pseudo-science.' "'David sighed and looked at his feet. "'Come, David,' said Farmer. "'You must realise what's happened. "'The nature of our research into cloud formation and evolution "'will have taken us into the same sections of the rock "'as Miss Lystrammer and her associates at the same time. "'I assume you've been accessing the weather satellite records?' "'David nodded miserably. "'Well, then.' It's obvious. The rock administrators are not fools. They will have been made fully aware of the outlandish claims made by these meddlers, and will have acted to prevent their facility's name being linked with them. Unfortunately for us, we share the same narrow field of interest and have been caught in the crossfire. We are, what is it, collateral damage, I think. I lost it a bit at that point. After all we'd been through, after all that I'd been through, this woman was not going to lord over us and look down her nose at my work. Professor Varma, I said, I'm sorry you believe we've been acting unprofessionally, but I can assure you, she raised a hand, slightly cutting me off. I am aware you have academic credentials, she said, making credentials sound like a fistful of dog shit, but sadly you have no academic discipline. To discuss these wild ideas so publicly on the internet is to join in with the hopeless idiots who think they are some sorts of investigative reporters on the edge of some earth-shattering revelations." She threw her hands up theatrically. Everyone, she said with perfect enunciation, is a fucking citizen journalist these days. She sat down on the ledge of the plinth on which the sculpture stood. "'By itself, I think the issue might have been ignored by the rock,' she said wearily. "'But, unfortunately, the situation will have been complicated by the actions of your brother, Miss Lystrammer. "'Young lady, I'm truly sorry for your loss, but there—' well, "'It has to be said, latterly having you and David sharing a platform at the conference will have only added fuel to the fire. "'Of course we're on a list, one that your brother concocted.' Of course we've been frozen out. Ah, please excuse these excesses, these clichés. When I'm unsettled, my English deteriorates. I glared at the tall woman. She sounded fully in control to me. You cold-hearted, self-interested snake, I thought. David must have read my mind. He put his hand on my arm. Mamma didn't seem to notice how angry she'd made me. Or if she did, she didn't care. She turned her face away in profile to the sky, and made a slight laughing noise. I have been trying to contact The Rock to correct the misunderstanding, she said, but they are hypersensitive because of the current US president's paranoia and her threats to remove their funding. Their board will do anything to avoid bad publicity, and having The Rock's name attached to some articles in some flat earther backstreet publication would be disastrous. She stood up suddenly. So it seems, David, that it is down to me and your former friends and colleagues to save the situation. Tell me, did either of you two stop to think of going and talking to the rocks board? We went through the proper channels, I replied. Vrama laughed loudly at that and slapped her hand on the statue. people in the park turned and looked in our direction and then started walking again. Channels? "'She exclaimed. "'I'm talking about networks, connections, "'which neither of you seem to have. "'Well, luckily, I do. "'I fully expect to regain my access within a few days. "'I'll get it back for Wills and Hendricks, too. "'Not you, David, and definitely not Miss Lystromer, "'whose name will feature most unfavourably in the discussions. "'Look, Reginda." said david i realize you're upset but you can't ignore the other things i told you the armed guards have been there because of the high threat level posed by domestic extremists said Varma. and the accident we were nearly killed by someone who doesn't show up on cctv footage you experienced a severe shock you're both misremembering events this can happen when two people share a traumatic incident you also may be transferring guilt "'Guilt!' I said, loudly. Or too loudly. More people looked in our direction. "'Guilt for having gone poking around in the Kipara storage unsupervised, and without permission,' said Varma. "'Much like your brother poked around valuable scientific weather archives, causing havoc? "'Guilt for dragging my name and the names of respected companies like Helles and this affair?' "'I've had enough of this, David.' "'Professor Varma.' If you have such contempt for me and my colleagues, then why did you come here? Why meet with David and I?" Farmer drew herself up and smiled at me. I've spoken with Wills and Hendricks. We agreed on our course of action, and they asked me to deliver this message face-to-face, so there can be no misunderstanding. David, I'm addressing you here. Either disassociate yourself from this person, her group, and their ideas, or your career will be over." David stared at her, trying to read her it seemed. For a moment I wondered which way he'd jump, but then he said, No! No! I won't do that. Silence. The moment stretched like elastic. Then it snapped, and Regina Varma turned on her heel, stalked off without a word, heading towards the centre of Amsterdam. I was hoping one of the geriatric cyclists would take her out, but she wove her way safely through the traffic. We saw her flag down a taxi and she was gone. David looked terrible. I gave him a hug. Thank you, I said, for believing in me. He let the hug go on, and after a while he held me at arm's length and broke into a smile. He said, you know what, fuck it, I want to go back and look at my pictures. Let's go back in. As we jogged up the huge staircase to the second floor, David became fierce. We have to keep searching. And if that means breaking into every research establishment and every archive other than The Rock, then that's what I'll do. But I'm not giving up. He clenched his fists. It isn't right. I've had enough of people suppressing facts and ignoring evidence. We tipped her around them because they have power. Well. We have power too. Susan, they store a million items in the Museum. I want to show you some of the things here that I love and value. Then we can go and take whatever steps we need to to preserve everything that this represents. All the things that people have striven to achieve over the centuries. All the shape we've given to the world. Wow, I'm hearing passionate David, I laughed. I like it. He looked embarrassed, but his mood stayed upbeat. There's a couple of paintings I used to stand and stare at, he said. A Windmill on a Polder Waterway. It's also known as In the Month of July, by Constantine Gabriel. He has a wonderful treatment of clouds in it. Cumulus fractus, he said, sounding like a boy. Ragged bits of cumulus sheared off by larger clouds and tumbling behind the windmill. If Gabrielle painted the picture in July, like it says in the title, then as the air warmed, those thin clouds he captured on canvas might have turned into Cumulus, maybe even Cumulonimbus. Don't you think it's amazing to look at a painting that's over a hundred years old and know what the artist's afternoon was like? What's the other work? I asked. That would be Fishing Pink's In Breaking Waves by Mesdag, he replied. Alto Cumulus stratusformis in that one? Her lucidus variety, maybe. The main subject a small fleet of fishing boats that have been bought into the shallows to be unloaded. There's a strong onshore breeze. The boat's pennants are streaming out and the wind is whipping some spray off the waves' peaks. There's probably a weakening warm front approaching. The weather's going to get colder. Time to get the catch in, I said. He nodded. Come on, he said. They're both through here. From the gallery ahead came the sound of singing, a single voice. The music was odd, ethereal at first, then discordant. It was incredibly mournful in those echoing spaces, compelling and disturbing. We halted. Visitors were standing silent, rapt. It's like Ljechi, I whispered. David looked questioningly at me. You're Ljechi, I said. Hungarian composer, Kubrick used some of his music in 2001. I've heard his requiem. Someone wrote that it was a reversal of conventional form. Said that Legeci had created a requiem to be sung for the living by the ghosts of the dead. The music had driven away thoughts of artists. It called us and we walked again, slowly, towards the sound and rounded a sharp corner. The soloist was standing just inside the doorway to a gallery. She was wearing a black dress and a hood, or maybe a veil, like a niqab, or a western interpretation of one. Her face and her eyes were hidden by strips of black gauze, but her mouth was uncovered, and she wore bright crimson lipstick. She stood perfectly still, hands by her side, only her shoulders and diaphragm moved as she sang. There were no words, just notes. The lights had been lowered in the gallery. More than would be usual, I thought. Normally museums didn't reduce the ambient brightness this much, even for the most fragile and valuable paintings. We stepped in, singing all around us, amplified and coming in from hidden speakers. Below the notes, a soft, deep tone grew. It was like listening to the earth moving through space. As I adjusted my eyes, I could see there were other people, singly or in small groups around the gallery. They stood stock still. We did the same. We didn't speak. I couldn't speak. Every painting had been covered by a black screen. From floor to ceiling, it formed a pattern of rectangles, ovals, squares, each screen perfectly matched by the size and shape of the frame it was hiding. On every screen, a white spiral slowly revolved, some moved clockwise, some counterclockwise, they seemed to keep pace with the woman's song. One by one the people in the gallery turned towards us, their faces were masks, flat and enclosed by hoods. On the centre of each face was a white spiral revolving, I felt I was falling down into those faces. I said David's name, I think I did, I'm I'm sure I did, I said his name and I reached for his hand, couldn't find it, I was shaking in terror. He knew, I think he felt the same. The spirals on the paintings and the faces grew larger and larger and the music swelled. It was a probing scalpel, a blade slipped into the folds of our brains. The people, actors, interpreters, I don't know what they were, they took a step towards us in unison. For a moment, I couldn't see the way out. There was no exit signs and no doorways. The blackness of space was around us, and the galaxies and the nebulae slowly rotated there, measuring out the time to the heat death of the universe. To my death. I was no more than a thought, a passing moment of attention. I would be gone soon, or at the end of eternity, it was the same thing, no difference at all. Everything over in a heartbeat, lasting a thousand trillion years. One moment, and the only reality would be the absence of reality, an absence of me. David touched my shoulder, and I came back with a sudden convulsive jerk. I pulled away from him. I didn't stop. I ran out. He caught up with me as I made it into the fresh air and the sunlight, and sat down heavily on the museum steps. He sat next to me My head in my hands. It was some sort of art installation, he said tonelessly. Some fucking sort, I said. He waited. After a long time, I said, I want to go home to Orkney. I'm done here. All right, David Forrester said. All right, Susan, I'll take you home. The Sky Machine is written and produced by Martin Liddermont, performed by Jennifer Bardsley and Martin Liddermont. Music by Purple Planet Music, Daniel Birch, The Pangolins, and Cormie. Additional sounds by Sea Sound Design and Mikiyata on freesound.org.